Good to see you. Glad you're here. It's exciting. Let's pray, and we'll ask God's blessing on our time, and we'll get moving. Father, thank you for just uh, the power of your Holy Spirit, and I pray that he would have his way tonight. Uh, we rejoice in you, and we find peace, rest, comfort. We find power, anointing in you. We ask God tonight that you would speak and we'd have ears to hear. Uh, we want to know you more. We want to uh, be closer to you. We want to understand more. We want to, God, uh, really find ourselves in your midst, in the, in the midst of your spirit, the midst of your speaking, the midst of, God, what you're doing. And so tonight I pray that uh, your word would open up to us. I pray that word would make sense to us. And I pray, God, we could apply that word to our lives. We give you thanks tonight. We ask, God, that you be glorified through our time. We welcome you to our midst. We've gathered in the name of Jesus. We ask these things in his name. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, we'll open up to the Gospel of Luke chapter 5. Gospel of Luke chapter 5. If you need a Bible, they're located on the tables. Luke chapter 5, and I need a volunteer to read verse 10. All right, thanks for reading that. Uh, this is a, a section of the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is already begun his uh, preaching ministry. He uh, was already drawing great crowds. They were already coming to hear him. And the Bible says that they were pressing in on him already. And so this is as Jesus is beginning to gather his disciples. He's beginning to call his disciples. But even before he calls Peter and Andrew and James and John, uh, he's got big crowds, and, and people are following him, and people are pressing in on him, and people want to be near him. And so it was a result of that that he had seen uh, Peter and Andrew fishing, James and John fishing, and he'd asked to use their boat to go away from shore a little bit uh, so that he could continue and finish up what he was doing there. And so they had agreed to that, and uh, it's kind of interesting in the story, Jesus does a miracle right after this where he tells them to go on out and put out their nets. And they went out and put out their nets and were able to draw in a huge catch of fish. And it was a miraculous catch of fish. It was so big. And so thus began this relationship. And, and then it was at this point that we're reading here in this passage where after this miracle of fish, he calls his first disciples and that would be Peter and Andrew and James and John they're all fishermen and the Bible describes them as associates or people that were involved in the same trade uh, but there's a little bit more to it than that they're just not strangers but they're people that knew each other they're people that worked together and people that had shared their trade together and so they were known to one another so Jesus calls them and there's some things about the call that I really want to look at tonight that I think would be of help to us. And, and this is all really personal to where you come from. This is personal to the way that you see God. This is personal to the way that you see yourself. This is personal to the way that you understand God's call and God's word in your life and things like that. And so this may speak different things to different people. And I want to take the time to look at different aspects of it because I want to take the time to say what needs to be said so that Maybe a portion of this is going to speak to you tonight. Maybe this is something that you've been thinking about or something that you need some revelation on or something that is beyond that which you even really have considered too much from the scriptures, but maybe something that was put into you even without you knowing it. Some of you were raised in the church. Certain things were spoken over you when you were small, and some of those things weren't true. Some of those things weren't God. Some of those things aren't the way God shows himself or the way God reveals himself. I mean, well-meaning people may have done those things, and yet they left you with the wrong impression. or They left you with a way of seeing God, a way of understanding yourself 
that just isn't what God has for us and what God wants us to live in. And so I, I want to encourage you that you can change your mind. That just because you heard something first doesn't mean that it's the right thing. Or just because you heard something first doesn't mean that you have to continue living in that or continuing believing it. But you can look at it differently and you can choose to see things differently. You can choose to believe things differently. You can choose to accept truth into your life and reject things that maybe weren't so true. You know, I've, I've spoken on my past with you guys before and I grew up in a household. My grandfather was a pastor of a church. He pastored a church for 40 years. And, and so I had that in my life, but there were also other influences in the same household in my life because it was a household of superstition. And growing up where I grew up, there were all kinds of superstitions. And I was taught all those superstitions growing up. So I had to, on this one hand, I had this foundation of faith that there's a church, there's a church body, and this is a gospel-believing, gospel-preaching church that my grandfather was pastoring. Then on the other hand, there's a lot of superstition, there's a lot of things that really have nothing to do with Christianity, have nothing to do with God, and have nothing to do with that faith, uh, at least that house of faith that my grandfather was running. And so you have these two things kind of battling it out. And, and the superstition... I mean, I, I can sit here and I, I meet people all the time that hold the same superstitions because we, being brought up in a similar place, I meet people that are from some similar area than where I'm from, and they'll have similar stu- superstitions that they were brought up with. But those are things I had to reject at some point in my life, that I'm not going to continue believing those things. Some of those things were just flat-out witchcraft that I would know later it's witchcraft, but I didn't know that then. I was a kid. But as I became an adult and as I was reading through the scriptures, as God was revealing himself to me, I looked at some of the things that I was taught as a child and there were things that I needed to reject about that because I'm not going to walk in witchcraft. I'm not going to walk with witchcraft in my life, at least not knowingly. And as things were revealed to me and as I saw things for as they really were, I had to say no. And I just needed to reject those things and accept the truth. And so I encourage you that that's a process and that's a good process that I think God puts us through sometimes. Uh, of showing us something, maybe you didn't think about that before, maybe we didn't see it that way before, but being willing to set down things that we don't need, be willing to set down things that maybe just are not useful, maybe be, being able to set that down things that are revealed to us as being evil, or being unproductive in our lives, and being able to take up the truth. I think, I think those are important things. I think that's something important for us to be able to do, and it's a maturing process in our life. So you look at this passage. You've got uh, Jesus, and, and kind of interesting, I'm going to just share a few things here. But the main theme of what I want you to hear tonight is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And the reaction of people to Jesus, or the reaction of people to when God shows up, the reaction of people when God says an angel, when the reaction of people when God speaks from heaven, the reaction of people when God actually shows himself many times is fear. And you see that in, in, in all throughout the scriptures when God would show up, there'd be fear. And, and interestingly, Jesus, look at the difference here that's going on here. You got Jesus preaching and teaching, right? And and he's and, and he's just sharing that which God had given him to share. He's healing people. People are receiving deliverance. All these things are going on. This is just a part of his ministry. But I want you to, to kind of get a hold of this for a second. People were pressing in on him. They were trying to get close to him. And so they, they're moving in on him. They're trying to get close to him. And then you got him dealing with and speaking to Peter, Andrew, James, and John. So he's addressing them. While a whole crowd of people are pressing in on him, and he's preaching to them, and they want to get as close as possible to him. He's talking to Peter and Andrew and James and John. They see a miracle in their midst. They, they take up the whole boatload of fish, two boatloads of fish, and it's a miracle that takes place in their midst. And their reaction to Jesus isn't to press closer, it's to be afraid. And yet you see that over and over again in the scriptures, people are afraid. And there's reasons that they're afraid. I'm going to look at three areas that we, we can, can look at, say, things we don't need to be afraid of. 
in, in this particular passage. Because there's several things in this passage that we really just don't need to be afraid of. We just uh, we don't have to. Uh, one of the things that I'm really thankful for in my life, I was never afraid of God. I was never afraid of being close to him and never afraid of him. Uh, I don't know why. I don't think anybody told me I was supposed to be afraid, so I wasn't. I was, I was rather, when I was small, and I was really in my grandfather's church when I was really little, but I was unafraid. Um, if my grandfather was up front and he was given the invitation at the end of service and, and he's calling people on up to the altar to pray, I'd walk right up and just hug him in the middle of all of that, right in the middle of it. Like he's trying to, you know, do whatever he's going to do. Or if he's up there singing, he used to sing. I just go up there and just stand with him, like right in front of everybody. Like I just didn't care. And, and so they, they have like stories of all of that, how I just walk up or I grab hold of his hand and not let go of it or something. And, but I wasn't afraid. And he represented that to me. And so growing up, even when you know, I was living with my mom and her new husband and, and they didn't have anything to do with God, they didn't have anything to do with it. I'm never afraid of God. Never. Never had any kind of fear of him. Never thought about that. I heard people talk about things like that, read stories about that. Never experienced that in my life. Thankful for that because I've never had an issue with drawing near. I've had, never had an issue with pressing in, but that's not everybody's story. And, and you see this in Peter and Andrew, James and John. It's not their story because their story was that Jesus is reaching out to them. Jesus is doing a miracle in their midst. Jesus is showing affection and love toward them. And their reaction to him is to be afraid, to be scared of him. And so that wasn't their story. Their story was one of fear. Their story was one of, I'm afraid of Jesus. Now, everything you know about Jesus pretty much doesn't really give you, you know, the idea that you should be afraid of him. Like most of the stuff you see about him, it just doesn't. Most of the stuff you read about Jesus, he's loving, he's kind, he's gentle, he's understanding, he's full of grace and mercy and love, and you see all of these different accounts of him. I mean, most of the way that he presented himself, most of the way that he showed himself to people, there's no reason to be afraid of him, and yet people were. God shows himself over and over again in the scriptures as being long-suffering. He shows himself as being patient. He shows himself as being a loving God. That it allows us, uh, you know, opportunity to see change and growth and, and, and to draw near to him if we choose to. He, he allows all of those things. He gives us all those opportunities, yet people respond to him in fear. So one of the things that we don't need to be afraid of, and uh, let's look at a couple of examples here. Isaiah, remember prophet Isaiah? God appeared to him in the temple. He was a, he was a priest. And he was going about his priestly duties in the temple, and God appeared to him. Isaiah chapter 6, somebody read verse 7. Isaiah 6, 7. All right, thanks. And there's God, and, and you see his vision in the temple. It was more than a vision. I mean, an angel was there. And actually took care of whatever Isaiah's... Because Isaiah's first reaction to it was what? You remember what his words were? Woe unto me. Right. What was he say? Yeah, woe unto me, a man of unclean lips among a people that are unclean. That was his reaction to God showing himself, to God revealing himself. Now think about that for a second. He's a priest, right? He's in the temple. He's going about his priestly duties. What is the ultimate goal of going about your priestly duties in the temple? You want to see God, right? You want to experience God. You want That's the dwelling place of God. And you spend all of your time in this dwelling place of God. That's the way they understood the Old Testament temple. That was the dwelling place. So you're spending all this time. You're going through all these things. You're doing all this stuff. Well, ultimately, what do you want to see if you're going through all of that? You want to see God. You're, you're, that's just where you spend all your time. And so Isaiah would be a priest in the temple of God going about the priestly service. God actually shows up, right? Now you should be happy about that. He wasn't happy. He was like, woe unto me. In other words, things are terrible. That, you know, he reacted like the worst possible scenario had just happened when it was the best possible scenario. 
best possible thing that could have possibly happened is you're a priest in the temple and God shows up. Worst thing in his mind, though, God showed up. So there's a need to be some kind of an adjustment. And you see through the life of Isaiah, there was an adjustment that took place in his heart and in his life. And you saw that there were things that changed in him and there were things that, that changed about the way that he interacted with God and the way that he saw God that took place over time in his life. But understand where he started, scared. Understand where he started. He hated the good and he loved the bad. You see what I'm saying? It's like God shows up good, but that's bad. You can't think like that. So we got to adjust my thinking. God shows up's good. And that's what good is. So... He had to think, see things differently. He had to understand things differently. Somebody look at Daniel. Daniel chapter 10 and verse 12. Then Dan- he said to me, yep. Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your all right, thanks. Now, Daniel, you know who Daniel is. I mean, he is close to God. Daniel is uh, brave. Daniel is full of faith. Daniel withstood several tests in his life. Daniel's spiritual. He's interpreting dreams. Not only is he interpreting dreams, he's telling a person what they dreamed and giving the interpretation of the dream. There's power through him. There's wisdom through him. There's anointing through him. All of these things are Daniel. And yet, Daniel, what? He's afraid. He's afraid at the supernatural encounter that he had there. And so the word to him is don't be afraid. And I think that's the word to us tonight. Don't be afraid. And here's some of the things we don't need to be afraid of. Number one, you don't need to be afraid of being near Jesus. And I know that that seems obvious. And yet, isn't that what's going on here? I mean, if you read in the in the Gospel of John, that what who uh, Isaiah saw in the temple that day, that was Jesus. That's what the Gospel of John tells us that he saw the glory of Jesus in the temple that day in Isaiah chapter six, four hundred years before Jesus was born. All right, and so why was he afraid? And I know it sounds it, it sounds silly, but is that we don't have to be afraid of being near Jesus? We don't. We do not have to be afraid of that. In fact, we should embrace it. We should want that. We should be looking for that. And people will say, yeah, that's what I want. That's what I want. But if Jesus ever shows up, I'm afraid. Well, don't be afraid. We don't need to be afraid of being near Jesus. Look at Peter's response to him, leave me. And and Jesus, by his actions, and Jesus, by what he does, and, and the way that he addresses Peter, he's telling him, he's like, don't be afraid of me. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid of me. He's not going to hurt you. He's not going to hurt anything about you. I mean, you think about Peter, and and you remember Jesus, they were out in the ocean, or out on the sea, in the boat, and they're getting tossed around and stuff. It's kind of late at night. And here comes Jesus walking on the water. You remember this story? And what's their reaction when they see Jesus walking on the water? They're scared, right? Well, they made something up about it, okay? Here's, the, here's what happened. They made something up about it. They see Jesus walking in the water, and they supposed him to be what? A ghost, right? So they made something up about Jesus' presence. They made something up about what he was doing. They made something up about who he was. They made something up about what they were actually seeing. And because they made something up, they were afraid. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, most of the time, people are afraid of Jesus, and they're afraid of God. You know why? Because they make something up. That's really the reason. And maybe they were taught to make something up. Maybe somebody made something up and told them what to believe about it or whatever. But somebody somewhere made something up or you're not going to be afraid. You're just not going to be afraid. And so and so, what you see here, and, and we can look at some of those stories, but I mean, Matthew 14, 28, that's, that's what that account is. And you see Jesus and you see Peter. Now, what was Peter's reaction though? After he was afraid... And he speaks to Jesus. What did he do? Remember? Yeah, and what did Peter do? He jumped out of the boat and started walking toward him. Right? And he actually was able to walk on water as he was walking toward Jesus. 
When did he start to sink? You remember the story? When he started, yeah, he started looking around at the wind and the waves, and he got scared again and started to sink. Right. Right. Now, understand the power of fear in people's lives. Understand the power of fear that interferes with faith. Because fear interferes with your faith. Fear interferes with your relationship with Jesus. Fear begins to interfere with your closeness to him. The miraculous in your life suffers when you're living in fear. It does. And so Peter's a great example of that, how the miraculous, he, he was experiencing it. He was living it. He was in the middle of the miraculous. He's walking on the water. And then all of a sudden, the wind, the waves, I'm afraid. I don't know what's going to happen. Why am I doing out here? How am I doing this? Sink. And even though his fear took over, who saved him? Jesus. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to be afraid of. Even, and Peter's a great example of that because even if he failed, which he did in his faith, Jesus still took care of him. Because he, he's not about hurting us, but he's about taking care of us. And we need to get that somehow. And that might require an adjustment on your part. That might be a, require an adjustment of the way you see things or an adjustment of the way that you understand things. But but that's an important thing. Somebody look at John 21 7. Gospel of John 21 7. All right, so this is at the end. This is after Jesus has been resurrected. This is them out fishing again. They went back to fishing. Jesus is on the shore, and and he's calling out to them. And he tells them, he's like, throw the net over, throw the net over, and they had another miraculous catch of fish. All right, so it's like kind of where we're starting the story tonight. But this is the end of the story. What was Peter's reaction that time, though? He jumped in the water and ran after him. He wasn't afraid anymore, right? He wasn't afraid anymore. Something changed in his mind. Something changed in, in the way he was going to see Jesus. Something changed in how he's going to react to Jesus. And it just shows us that maybe the way we, do, we initially react or the way that we react today doesn't have to be the way that we react tomorrow. It doesn't have the way we have to see him tomorrow. Just because we see him that way today or we're afraid today doesn't mean we have to be afraid tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow we're going to get out and we're just going to run toward him. We want to be with him. So we're not afraid. But understand time had passed. Understand that this was time that he had spent with Jesus and he began to know who Jesus was, right? He began to understand who Jesus is. He began to see his relationship with Jesus, Jesus' relationship with him. He began to live in that and find peace in that, find rest in that, find comfort in that. And, and, and in the midst of all of that, something changed in his heart, something changed in his mind. There was a connection that was made. It's like, I don't need to be afraid of him. I want to be as close to him as I can. And you see that evidenced later on there at the end after Jesus was on the shore. You saw the same miracle. Got one reaction the first time, got another reaction the second time. Because the miracle this time, he got the one reaction. What was that? I'm afraid. Was the second time I'm jumping in the water, I'm going after him. I'm going to be with him. See, see, you got the same circumstance, two different reactions. And so we have the opportunity to change. You have the opportunity to change. I have the opportunity to change. And do things, see things, react to things differently. It's kind of silly to use that, well, that's just how I am, excuse with Jesus, right? Do you, you kind of get what I'm saying? To, to just be able to just say something like, well, that's just how I am. Well, he's in the business of changing people, all right? And so to say that's just how I am is like a direct, I don't believe in Jesus kind of statement. Because Jesus changes people. Because Jesus changes who we are. Jesus can change our reaction, change the way we see things, change the way we understand things. He can do stuff like that. And that's that's the function of faith in our life. So to proclaim that's just how I am as an excuse not to change 
is really an anti-faith statement in our life. It's like no faith. That's just like, well, status quo kind of thing. That's just how I am, so that's the way it's going to be. Really? It doesn't have to be. You don't have to do that. You don't have to react that way. You don't have to have to make that kind of a decision again. There can be change. You see, this change took three years. A good three years. All right. And it may have changed at some point during those three years, but it definitely changed over a period of three years. So they went from, I'm afraid, to, I need to be with you. So the first thing is we don't need to be afraid of being near Jesus. We, we, we can be near Jesus. You don't need to be afraid of that. Second thing is you don't need to be afraid of being a sinner. And I know that's kind of an old-fashioned word, but it applies. Because people are afraid of being a sinner. What does that mean? Well, that means that we're just not good enough. As I said, Peter looked at Jesus. He's like, leave me alone. Get away from me. He was afraid of being with Jesus. Well, the reason, and he gives a reason after that. He's like, please leave me. And the reason that he says it, and he, he, he guarantees it here, he says, please leave me, I'm a sinner. That's the reason. He's like, I'm a sinner, so you shouldn't be anywhere near me. And you know what's really crazy about this statement? Peter's wrong. All right, I just want to point out he's wrong in that. His assessment of the situation was absolutely, positively wrong. But you know how many commentaries I read about this verse and the commentaries agree with Peter? But he's wrong. You can't agree with the guy if he's wrong and he's proven wrong in these verses. So if you read any commentary that says, oh yeah, Peter was right about that, that's absolutely incorrect. Absolutely. And that was what Jesus had to fight against in Peter's life. And he did. He fought against that. He's like, no, that's not the issue. Jesus wanted to be with Peter. Jesus wanted to be with Andrew. Jesus wanted to be with James and John. He was calling them to come live with him and travel with him and and share life with him. That's what Jesus was doing right here. The exact opposite of what Peter was saying. That's how you know he was wrong. Now, was he wrong he was a sinner? No, he was a sinner. We're all sinners. Fact of the matter. But that's no reason to run from the presence of Jesus or to tell Jesus to leave you alone. That's where he was wrong. Jesus himself, he talked about this. He's like, I didn't come for the righteous people. That's not why I came. This is Jesus teaching people this. He's like, I came for all the dirty people. I came for all the sinner people. And he used the example of a doctor. He's like, people that aren't sick don't need a doctor. It's the people that are sick that need the doctor. And that's why Jesus came was for the sick people, for the sinner people. That's who he was looking for. That's who he wanted. And so for anybody to understand the the work of Jesus any other way is to ignore the very words of Jesus himself to ignore his ministry, to ignore what he said, to ignore his intent in everything that he said. You have to ignore all of those things not to understand that he came for the dirty people. That's who he came for. The Pharisees were not the dirty people, but Jesus didn't come for them. And he made that clear. The Sadducees, he didn't come for them. The overly religious people, the scribes, all these people, he didn't come for any of them. That's not who he came for. He came for the dirty people. He came for the people that that weren't necessarily overly religious. He came for the people that didn't have any kind of religious training. He came for the people that were outcasts in society. He came for the people that nobody else wanted. That's who he came for. He came for the poor people. And so we have to understand him based on that. And if you can't change your minds about that, you have to you have to just unplug yourself from what Jesus actually said. He he actually said in so many words that he did he came for sinners. He came for the dirty. He came for the forgotten. He came for the outcast. He came for the people nobody else wanted to be around. He came for the uneducated. He came for the people that didn't have money. That's who he came for. And so we have to understand that in the midst of that that kind of a description, 
that we're in there somewhere. And so we don't need to be afraid of being a sinner. We don't have to be. You don't have to fear the truth of who you are. You don't. And so many people fear the truth of who they are. They hide who they are in so many ways. We got so many tools that we learn to hide who we are. You know, just we'll, we'll let out a certain amount of information, but not all the information. We'll tell you something about ourselves, but not everything. Or we'll tell you a little bit, but we'll leave you with that impression. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that we protect ourselves and we hide. All kinds of ways. And the older you get, most of us would get better at it. We kind of understand how to do that a little bit better. And yet, we don't need to be afraid of that. It's like, who, what are we hiding from God? Nothing. Nothing. We're not hiding anything. And, and part of the point of that is to just, just relieve yourself of that fantasy. That fantasy that, oh, well, this is my church persona. Well, God's with you when you're at home. God's with you in the car. God's with you everywhere. He knows what you're like. You don't put on your church persona for God. He already knows. You might put on your church persona for other people. Now that I've seen and understand. And maybe they will be impressed with you, but that's a whole different subject than God. God doesn't need you to impress him. He already knows who you are. God doesn't need you to act a certain way around him. He already knows who you are. God doesn't need you to pretend to be the way you're not. God doesn't need you to do any of those things. He already knows who you are, and you do not have to fear the truth of that. He loves you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That verse is important because what that tells us is we've done nothing to earn that. That verse is important to us because it tells us that he loved us no matter how dirty we were. He still loved us and enough, enough, greater love has no man than this that he laid down his life for his friends. So in other words, he, he had greater love for us while we were dirty people. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So greatest love, greater love. He showed for us, for me and for you, while we were still dirty. Why are you afraid of it? Why are you afraid of being who you are? Because he loved you and loved you big enough that he laid down his life and died for you while you were still dirty. And to pretend something else is to fool yourself, is to lie about it. And there's no reason to lie. We can get close to him. We don't need to be afraid of who we are. We don't need to be afraid of being dirty. And I'll tell you, this is the last thing I want to say about this. Comparison is senseless. You know, and I've heard people say, well, compared to Jesus, why would you compare yourself to Jesus in that sense? He was tempted in all points like we are yet without sin. He doesn't have any sin. Why would we compare ourselves to him like that? I have sin. Yep. He doesn't. Right. Follow me here. Yeah, of course he doesn't. All right. That's the point. But because of that, you, people think, well, I can't be. It's senseless. It's senseless. He loved you. He loves you. And he will love you. He loves you enough that while you were still dirty, he still gave his life for you. Do not compare. There's no comparison. The point of who he is and the point of who we are is that we are who we are. And yet as we will submit and as we will allow the work of the Holy Spirit in us, we become more and more like him. If we had to just be like him right from the start for him to be friends with us, no one would be friends with Jesus. It just wouldn't happen. It couldn't happen. And it never would happen. And so that comparison is, is just a lie. And I believe that's a, that's a demonic lie, actually, to keep people away from Jesus. I think all of these things that I'm talking about, all this fear that I'm talking about here, I think is demonically inspired. Let's do. And I think it's perpetuated through generations of people, for whatever reasons, is perpetuated to keep people away from Jesus. Let's believe it. I think there's far enough evidence in the New Testament, far enough evidence in the Gospels that refute everything that people are afraid of. I just believe it. That it would, it's so obvious that it has to be some type of a spiritual deception for people not to be able to see the truth of the matter. Let's believe it. And that could be part of the veil that is described as covering people so they can't see the truth. It could be part of the blindness that people have, that their eyes need to be open so they can see the truth. It could be, in any of those descriptions, that could be part of it. 
And yet, as New Testament believers, people that are filled with the Holy Spirit and can read, we should be able to read and to understand and to glean from the Scriptures that those things just are not, absolutely are not true. They're just not. And so maybe there's a need to pray for that spiritual deception to be broken over our hearts and over our minds. Maybe there's that need. Maybe there's that need that we need to pray for ourselves for that spiritual deception to be broken. Maybe we need to pray for ourselves for our eyes to be open. Maybe we need to pray for ourselves for our understanding to be opened up so that we can see the truth. Because I'm going to say it again. We believe in Jesus. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We can read. Right? Yeah. And so let that truth penetrate. Let that truth really just just sink deep into you and into your life, into your heart. Third thing that we can look at here, I, I talked about not being afraid of being near Jesus. I said don't be afraid of being a sinner because we are. So you can't be afraid of just the truth of who you are. Third thing is don't be afraid of the future. And that was something he said here because he said hereafter. In other words, from this time forward. And then he describes that from now on, you will be, what does he say? You'll be what? From henceforth, from this time forward, you'll be fishers of men, right? Fishers of people. And so he looked at them and he said, what were they doing out there? You know. Fishing, right. So they're out there fishing, and he does a miracle with their fishing, because that's what they've been doing their whole lives. And so he applies a miracle to a, a thing that they had done so many times they couldn't possibly count it. And yet it was such a big miracle, they looked at it as like, this has got to be God. Because these are things that they've been doing their whole lives. These are things they've been trained from the time they were boys to be doing in their life. And so when the miracle happens, they see it's like, this is not, yeah, this isn't natural. This is something extra, supernatural. It just happened here. And so they recognized it for what it was. And he's like, well, don't, and, and so they're, they're like, well, we're afraid. We're afraid to be near you. We're afraid because we're sinners. We're afraid we can't draw anywhere near you. And Jesus is like, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You don't need to be afraid of being near me. You don't need to be afraid of who you are. And here's what you don't need to be afraid of. You don't need to be afraid of what the, the future holds. Because from now on, I'm going to make you fishers of people, not fishers of fish. Because you got the fish. You got that down. Good job. You see, because that was their natural ability. That was something they had been trained in. They were experts at fishing. They probably had their 10,000 hours in, made them experts at fishing. They were masters of fishing. Right, by, the, by this time in their life, they were masters of fishing. Right? And Jesus looked at him. He's like, yeah, I'm going to make you fishers of people. Right? That's your future. That's what I got for you. You don't need to fear about your future. You don't need to worry about your future. Because he's calling them. He's calling them here. And what is he calling them to do? He's calling them to lay down their lives. Everything they are. Everything they have. He's calling them to that. He's like, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of your future. You're going to be afraid of your future. You know, you're going to do all kinds of things to try to protect your cheese. But he's saying, you don't need to protect your cheese. You don't need to be afraid of your future. I'm going to make you something. I'm going to make you into something. And so leave that blank for a second. From now on, you will be. Leave it blank for a second. Because I know we want to apply that to everybody, but he was really talking to them, right? And what have they been doing their whole lives? Fishing. So what does he tell them? I'm going to make you fishers of people. All right? That was his word to them. Well, what is that blank for you? I mean, it could be that, but maybe it's something else. Maybe there's something in your life that Jesus is saying, I'm going to make you something else. I don't know what that's going to be. But we don't have to worry about what the future is. So, you know, Maybe you're a teacher. I'm going to make you teachers of people. I'm going to make you a teacher of people. And you're just going to teach people. And, we, and, and included in that, there'll be people that are going to come to know Jesus through that, right? But I'm going to make you a teacher of people. That's what I'm going to do for you. Or, or maybe you, you, know, you have some other gift, or maybe you've been, you're a master of something else in your life. You still don't have to worry about the future because Jesus has that. Okay, from now on, as we give ourselves to him, as we give our lives to him, we give everything we have to him, I'm going to make you what? 
I don't know. That's pretty exciting to me, though, because he can make something out of nothing. But if you're already a master of something, you've already, it's something that you have in your life, and he just said, I'm going to take it, I'm going to do this in your life. Boom. Awesome. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the future. Don't be afraid of what's going to happen. And look what just happened to them. This is kind of interesting because they're fishermen, and they just had the biggest haul of fish they'd ever had in their lives. Right? This is the biggest success these guys had ever had in their entire life. The most fish ever. So this is the most money they've ever made, the most fish they've ever brought in. This is the greatest ever success of fishing they have ever seen, ever known in their whole lives. And it's at that moment Jesus says, I want you to give everything up and come and follow me. Right? Now, is that not kind of interesting? That by his hand, he gave them the best harvest of fish they ever had. The most money in their hands that they've ever seen. And it is in that moment, he's like, leave everything and follow me. Yeah. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because the same one who just gave them the most profitable profitable moment of their lives is the one that's saying, follow me. The one that's given them the most provision they've ever seen in their entire life is the same one saying, drop your nets and follow me. Don't be afraid. They just saw what he could do. And on one hand, you could say that at their moment of success, you could say, how hard would it be to, to, to leave it all behind? Well, you might think so if they had done it themselves. They'd been out fishing all day, hadn't caught anything in their own strength. That was all Jesus, but they saw it for what it was. They didn't take credit for that. They didn't, you know, pat themselves on the back. Great job fishing, guys. They've been losing all day. It was only at the command of Jesus they threw those nets out, and they argued with him about it before they even did it. Like, Lord, I know you you want us to do this, but, you know, we've been out here all day, nothing happening. They did the same thing at the end, too. But they did it anyway, and... Miraculous catch. Miraculous catch. When I was about to leave my job to get into ministry full-time, it was way back. God only knows when. But I was working for Department of Labor. I was working for a contractor with Department of Labor. And uh, right before I was ready to leave, in fact, I think I was typing up my letter of resignation or whatever, I called into my supervisor's office and... uh, and he's an older guy. I've been working for him for a while. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to retire. I want you to take my position. Now, he was like, I think, second or third in charge of the center that I worked at. And that was a major, like, doubling my salary kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, it was just, I, I'd want it. That'd be an awesome job. It was like a dream job. And so he offered me the job. Now, I'm getting ready to turn in my resignation, right? So how does that happen? You know, it happens because it does. Because the same one that provided me with that job was showing me something through that. What was he showing me? Yeah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about what the future holds. Look what I did. Look what I'm doing for you right now. Same week, I was ready to turn in my resignation. It might have been the next day or something. The center director calls me. He's like, yeah, I'm going to be taking the center director job out in uh, San Diego. That's where you come from. I want you to come with me. You can be my center standards officer out there. I give you a raise. Uh, we'll set you up with a place to live. I know a, a nice place for you to, you know, near the beach. Blah blah blah. I was just talking it up. I'm like, oh god, look where I, you know, look where we are. You know, it's like. But you know what God said through that. You know, I, I can't say I was tempted really, too much, but I heard it as God saying, "I've got you. Don't worry, I've got you." That I'm the God who's providing great weather. I'm the God who's providing a great job. I'm the God who's providing this much more money. I'm the God who's providing these opportunities. And they all came the same week that I was quitting. And it was so funny because it was like I quit that week and they're all looking at me like, what? You've got, you've got like all of these opportunities in front of you. You're just quitting right now? Yeah. Yeah, because I, I got a call to, to go into ministry full time. And I've already raised a whole $500 a month to live on. That's not a lot, even back then. That's a joke. 
But I did. I had I'd raised like 500 bucks a month to live on. That was it. And it was like, but God was telling me through those things, I've got you. Don't worry. Don't worry about the future. Don't worry about provision. Don't worry about, you know, whatever those things that you're worried about. All those things that everybody's clamoring for. Everybody's running after. Don't worry about those things. You see, there was a growing relationship that was starting with Peter here. And it was a growing relationship that would be ever-growing with Peter and him telling him, and notice what he filled in the blank here with Peter was, I'm going to make you fishers of people. All right, that's what he was saying. And in the verb that's used there as fishers of people, is it's like it's a perpetual occupation. That's what it's described as. It wasn't just I'm going to have you, you know, fish for people once. Or, I'm going to have you fish for people part time. I'm going to have you fish for people just every now and then. That was going to be his job. His job was going to be to see people saved. And it would be his perpetual job that he would continually be seeing people saved through the ministry that Jesus was giving him. And so where do you see some of this fulfilled? Well, I think of Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. It was, it was on the day of Pentecost, Jesus, or excuse me, Peter stood up in Jerusalem after being filled with the Holy Spirit, after speaking in tongues, after the tongues of fire over his head and all that, they went running out into the street and they're just preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel. A crowd gathered, what's going on? They'd heard people speaking in their own languages. And the Bible says Peter stood up and he preached a sermon. That's what he did. And we know 3,000 people were saved that day. So this word of Jesus that he speaks over Peter and Andrew and James and John, you see specifically being fulfilled in the life of Peter on the day of Pentecost. That was just the beginning. It's like 3,000 people are going to come to know Jesus that day. And then what would happen after that is that that would be the mark of Peter's life, that he would stand up other times and preach, and people would come to know Jesus. He would stand up other times, and, and there would be people that would come to know Jesus, that that would be the perpetual occupation that Jesus had for his life. Do not worry about the future. Do not. And God shows himself strong in our lives over and over again that he can do anything by opening doors. Those miraculous things that you see happening when God opens a door for you, that's not just so he can bless you. That's also so he can teach you something about his nature and something about his disposition toward you. And something about his nature and disposition toward you is this, that he is about blessing us and taking care of us. That's what he does. And I find it interesting that after that Jesus' death and resurrection, when he finds Peter out fishing again, interestingly, Peter just went right back to what he was doing before he ever knew Jesus, didn't he? Because he knew how to do it. And what happened? The second time, Jesus came up to the boat and came up to shore and says, throw your net over the side of the boat, and he got a miraculous catch again. What happened? He got a miraculous catch. This time, instead of being afraid, this time, instead of running from he jumped out of that boat and he ran to Jesus. In other words, I've got you. Don't be afraid. Because every one of those guys is afraid after Jesus was arrested. Every one of those guys is afraid after Jesus hung on the cross. Every one of those guys was afraid. All right? He said, don't be afraid. Because he just repeated the same miracle again to remind him, I've got you. i got you. Now, if I was to take time right now and i say, hey, uh, God ever provide for you miraculously? Most of us in the room can say, yeah. Yeah, something. Something's happened. And we can, most of us can say, yeah, God's provided for me. God has showed up for me. God has, has done something beyond the natural in my life to provide for me. Most of us can say that. Well, learn the lesson. Learn the lesson. Don't be afraid. Learn that lesson of not being afraid of the future. Because the future is unknown. And it's always going to be unknown. It's in the future. And so if we're going to face the unknown, you can either face the unknown fooling yourself that you got everything under control, which you don't. No one, no one does. There's always things outside of our control, always things that we didn't plan on, always things that we had no idea were coming. 
That's all right. Or you can go into the future confident in faith that we serve a God that loves us, cares for us, and is looking out for us, and he doesn't want us afraid. He doesn't want to live in afraid. No reason to. We just need to live our lives. You don't need to be afraid of him. You don't need to be close to him. You don't need to be afraid of yourself, of who you really are, and you don't need to be afraid of the unknown, the future, because he's got you and he's looking out for you. He loves you. Now, part of all of our future, part of that, that vision that Jesus gives us, somebody look at 2 Timothy 2.26. 2 Timothy 2.26. Timothy 2.26. And that they will come to their senses and escape All right, so in the sense that Jesus spoke over Peter, he talked about catching people. The, the verb that's used there for catching is live catching. In other words, you're going to catch people, you're going to catch fish, like when there's fishing, it's live catching fish. In other words, they caught their fish in nets. And there's a difference between catching a fish alive and spearing a fish. Because when you spear a fish, you kill a fish. They, they were catching these fish alive. And so that, that's the idea behind it. And so when he told Peter, he's like, you know, um, I'm going to make you fishers of men. In other words, it's perpetual catching of people. And you're going to catch them alive. I look at this verse in 2 Timothy, and it talks about taking people alive out of the power of Satan. That's what that verse is talking about. And it's the same verb, is that we're going to take people alive out of the power of Satan. And so as an overall vision, overall mission that God has given us, that's part of that mission. It's part of the mission that we are an active people that aren't just sitting back and waiting for them to come to us. But we're actually going and doing something about it. We're actually putting ourselves in a position where we're engaging the world that we live in in different places. We're engaging the world that we live in in different circumstances. We're engaging the world that we live in in a very active way and not passively just sitting around and seeing what happens. And I know over the years, that's what the church became. The church became this place, well, if you're interested, come on in. And and that really wasn't what the church was about. The church was about, in the New Testament sense, of going and engaging their society. They were going out and engaging people in the public square. They were going out and engaging people in their everyday lives and where they worked and they played and they went about their business. You think about Paul and the Areopagus in, in the city of Athens. Well, he went to the Areopagus. What was that? That was a place where all the philosophers would discuss things and where all the philosophers would, would debate. Well, he went directly there in order to speak to them. Because he was going to engage them where they were at. He decided on a place of influence, a place of education, a place where, where people had something to say and would give him opportunity to speak into whatever it was that he was going to speak about. And sure enough, they listened to him. You read Acts chapter 17, you can see what he had to say to them. But he was engaging people in other cities. He was engaging people in the city squares. He was engaging people in the synagogues. He was engaging people wherever they were, even house to house. In the New, Church, New Testament church in Jerusalem, engaging people at the temple, engaging people from house to house, engaging people in the streets outside the gate of the temple. That's where they were engaging people. Yet Philip in Samaria, engaging people where they were, speaking to people where they were, speaking to people that were in, involved in black or magic arts. All right? And he was unafraid to do so. Paul also doing the same thing, had a girl follow him around and she was speaking things over him, but not by the power of God, turned around, had to shut her down, not afraid to engage the world that they lived in. Why? Because they were taking people alive out of the power of Satan. I don't know if you know this, but most of the time, unless a church is completely feckless, Satan doesn't show up for service. Doesn't usually happen. Unless there's just a complete joke. 
So if we're going to start fishing, all right, start taking people alive out of the power of Satan, it's going to be done in the public square. I mean, God called us a long time ago to go places overseas where people don't go. I was just looking at a map the other night. Most dangerous places in the world. Dangerous countries. You know where most of them are? It's where we go. Right. Yeah, because people need Jesus there. People need Jesus there. In those kind of places. And I just really believe that that's just been a part of our vision, part of our call from the very start. But it's not some crazy idea. It's, it's really the, the call of God. It's really the heart of Jesus is that that's where we go. It's not, it's not some, some harebrained idea Well, we'll just go so you know, we're not uh, doing somebody else's work or whatever. It has nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with that. But it has everything to do with really trying to follow, get a hold of and following after the heart of Jesus. And if the heart of Jesus, if the vision of Jesus, if the mission of Jesus is, is that we're, we're taking men and we're taking women alive out of the power of Satan, well, we're going to have to go where they're at to do that. That's where we're going to go. And so whether that's somewhere overseas or whether that's here, whether that's where we work, whether that's where we play, whether that's where, whatever's going on around us, but to keep that in mind, that that's just part of that vision and part of that call over our lives. We don't need to be afraid of that. Because that's the reality of knowing Jesus for us. It's okay. It's good. We have a future. We have a purpose. We have a reason for being. And we should take real comfort in that. You know, a lot of people in the world, they don't know what their purpose is, and they're like searching all the time for their purpose. I just don't know what my purpose is. Okay, we have a purpose. We don't even really need to search too hard for it. We got purpose. It's just a question whether we're going to take it up or not. Are we going to live in fear? Are we going to be afraid to step out and respond to what God's already spoken to us? And so there might be some areas that we need to really consider, and, and, and you have to consider. And these are the things that I want to speak to you about. I want to, I'm going to pray for fear to be broken, but specifically, I want you to think in your life, don't be afraid of being near Jesus. And if you're afraid of that, uh, I want you to just ask God to help you change your mind. Don't be afraid of being a sinner. Of being who you are. Because you just are who you are. Right? Does that mean you're not going to change? Absolutely not. You should change. But you don't have to be afraid of it. And it doesn't hinder Jesus loving you and caring for you and wanting to be near you. In fact, that's who he came for. He came for the dirty people like you. And so you're right in his wheelhouse. So don't reject him based on some lie of the devil because it is a lie and the third thing is don't be afraid of the future and maybe you have a fear of the future maybe you worry about things or maybe you're just scared about what's going to happen well nobody knows what's going to happen but we know jesus and he's given us purpose he's given us his plan he's given us vision he's given us that his word in us that we don't even have to really worry about too much. We don't need to be concerned about it. We don't need to live in fear. And whatever the days are, who cares? Last days, good. Let's keep going. Got a long time to go? Let's keep going. Don't know what the future's going to hold? That's all right. Let's keep going. We need to keep going. And, and live within that vision and live within that purpose that God's given us. So let me pray, and then I'm just going to ask you to respond. Whatever it is that God's really speaking to you, as I said, as I started this, that there were just certain things I just believe God was saying and God was doing. And so I want to encourage you to, you respond. So Heavenly Father, I just, I, I rebuke fear in the name of Jesus. I, I come against fear in, in our hearts and our lives, and I just say no. 
I say no to fear. I pray, God, the perfect love, perfect love would cast out all fear in this place. I pray that perfect love begins to drive fear out of our hearts, out of our minds. That perfect love begins to drive fear out of our midst in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, and I rebuke the lies of the enemy. I rebuke the deception, the spiritual deception of the enemy, even the strong deception of the enemy, making us afraid of who we are, making us afraid of our lives, making us afraid of the, the actual truth of our lives. God, I, I just break that power over people's minds. I break that power of people's hearts in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God, I pray a freedom into this place and a liberty, a liberty, God, to respond to you tonight. I pray a liberty, God, for change. I pray a liberty for our hearts to change, our minds to change, God. And as you spoke to us and you spoke to some of us about specific areas of change, God, I pray that you will affect that change in the name of Jesus. Decisions to be made, God. Ways of seeing things to be changed in the name of Jesus. God, decisions to turn around and go a different direction tonight in the name of Jesus, that that would be made, that it would be done in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. You respond right now. Whatever's going on in you, whatever God's speaking to you, whatever God's revealing to you, you respond. You just respond. You and Him. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. I kick against them, I kick them down, I trample over them, and I'm just free to move Thank you, you Lord. Move, go where you want me to go and do what you want me to do. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. I accept it. I receive it. Thank you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. You're mighty God. Yeah. Thanks, Lord. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Freedom, Lord. Freedom. Yeah. Break lies in the name of Jesus. Old lies in Jesus' name. Just break them. We break them in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, thank you, God. Mm-hmm. Freedom, Lord. Freedom, Lord. Yeah. Respond in the moment. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Bless you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm just going to ask you to do something. It's a it's a physical act, but 
I want you to see it as a little bit more than that. I want you to just do this as an act uh, representative of something spiritual happening. Uh, the Bible talks about how God breathed into the dust of the ground and a living soul was formed in Adam. And I want to encourage it. We're just going to take a couple deep breaths. And I just want you to receive that life, that breath of life today. That breath of life that Jesus breathes into us, that breath of life that God breathes into us, that it brings life and, and that destroys darkness, destroys death in us. And so just as a, as a physical act, but representative of something spiritual taking place, just going to say, just take a couple deep breaths right now and just breathe in life, breathe in that spirit of God. Breathe in that life, that breath of life of God into you. We just receive of you, Jesus. We just receive of you. And so, God, I, I speak life tonight. I speak life. God, not fear, but life. Not fear, but love. Not fear, but hope. Not fear, but faith, we give you thanks tonight for your presence. We give you thanks tonight for your love for us. We give you thanks tonight for your purpose. We give you thanks tonight for all that you have. Ask God that you would change us and that we would see change in our heart, change in our mind, change in the way that we're living, our expectations, and I pray faith come forth. If we ask it in Jesus' name, let's agree by saying amen. 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 Thanks for coming tonight. Good to see everybody.